Phase World Podcast helps independent creators live their creative and financial freedom. I'm your host, Fei Wu, and I'll be taking you through a series of interviews with creators from around the world who are living life on their own terms. Each episode is packed with tactics, nuggets you can implement, origin stories to make listening productive and enjoyable. We're not only focused on the more aspirational stories, but relatable ones as well. We also have non-interview-based mini-series releasing throughout the year to help deep dive into topics such as freelancing, marketing, even indie filmmaking that will benefit creators like you. Show notes, links, and ways to connect with the guests are available on phaseworld.com. Now, on to the show. Hello, hello, this is Fei Wu from Face World Media. Well, today I really want to welcome a lovely guest whose name is Jason Van Wharton. And I know this sounds like a very Dutch name because he is, well, he's American with a Dutch descent. And um, I'm going to invite Jason to talk about his name as well. Well, why did I invite Jason to join me today? Because uh, we are here to talk about how to monetize your unique brilliance with content marketing, scalable courses, and automated sales systems. Recently, uh, I met Jason through, again, our mutual friend, Michael Roderick. I know that's a name has come up over and over again, and I will uh, definitely go live with Michael in the near future. Stick around, subscribe to the show. Uh, Michael is a super connector uh, who introduced me to Jason. And as a result... You know, uh, right before I officially met Jason through his course, you know, how to create a successful online course. It is um, an eight-week program, one of the best courses I've ever taken, really hands down. And Jason just has this really warm and authentic vibe that that jived with not just me, but everybody in the course. As a result, you know, 25, 30 of us became friends, connected on and offline, started Zoom meetings, and so appreciative of this connection and Jason's area of expertise. So if you are thinking about content marketing or if if you have taken courses online before and you ever wonder how you can create a body of work, possibly a course or two online, well, this is the episode for you. In this episode, Jason answers a lot of the common questions that came up over and over again in our uh, workshop. And he definitely does not hide anything. He addresses all the difficult questions, such as the, the imposter syndrome. Like, if you are a 25-year-old listener listening to this, you may be thinking, I've only been working for a few years. Do people really find that maybe it's feeling obnoxious to uh, to even have a course? You know, I, I know some folks have been told that if you're in your 20s or 30s, do not write a memoir because nobody want to read it. Well, that's not always true, is it? Because everybody's live um, and how they kind of travel through the world is very different. And we welcome, I mean, Jason and I definitely want to challenge you on the idea of people who think that they have nothing to offer or they don't really have an area of expertise where they don't deserve to have a course. Because in this episode, we also talk about things such as having an entry course, something that you can do very easily. You can even sell for free, market for free, right? Or you can have something what we call the signature course that takes more resources, more time, possibly more budget, more research uh, to get it done. Uh, very, very, very interesting. Um, but there, there's an area of 
Jason's journey and what we call origin stories a lot of people don't know about because, you know, Jason has a, a young kid, but even before he started his entrepreneurial journey, he thought about traveling around the world, how to have, uh, as how to live as an independent or kind of a location independent entrepreneur. He speaks to that in great detail and great length, talking about his journey and work experience in France. That's something he always wanted to do and how he actually made it happen. And he also lived and traveled to um, Portland, Oregon, to New York City, among many other places. I was really kind of interested to discover more. So many people talk about traveling, being location independent, but how do you actually go about it? How do you travel with a family? Things like that, you know, it's just it just very helpful, in my opinion, um, to hear how other people handle the situation and why they decided to do it, how they made it possible. So you may be wondering, okay, I have not heard of Jason who does he help? What is his background? What does he offer right now? Well, Jason helps thought leaders to reach a larger audience with their ideas. What does that mean? That means creating new income streams from their expertise and build business models that align with their values and goals. As a consultant, as well as trainer and strategist, he draws from more than 14 years of researching top internet influencers and experimenting with his own personal experience. His experience includes creating multiple successful brands, launching over, check it out, 60 online courses, teaching more than 10,000 entrepreneurs, generating seven figures uh, in online course sales, and 8 million downloads of his podcast. His mission is to help visionaries with impactful ideas and to connect with people they serve best and the problems they can most uniquely solve. Um, these things are interesting. And I just want to comment real quick. I mean, other than the social proof points and the numbers, you will notice that Jason is very, very prescriptive and articulate about the people that he's targeting. I mean, if I were to read this one more time, right, his mission is to help visionaries with impactful ideas to connect with people they serve best and problems they can most uniquely solve. Why did I pause on this? Because recently I've been following and reading newsletters from a woman I had never heard of until I met up with my mentor, Bob. Her name is Eleanor Strong. Eleanor with an E at the end. And her website literally is just a uh, enter your email for newsletter. I thought it was a joke, literally. I didn't think there was any credibility to that website. I did enter my email because she was referred to me. And she has this thriving online community, i.e. Facebook group, with more than 3,000 highly, highly engaging people. And she does these, what her what she refers to as messenger, like Facebook messenger lead sales. It's incredible. She posts very long-form content. But one of the things, coming back to why I mentioned this about Jason, is she said you have to get very clear on what, what your point, I, point A is for your clients. So that's not the client point A. It's not a client telling you how successful he or she is, you know, with the numbers that they find successful. It's about how you define the people that you can help um, grow the most. So as I'm reading this, you know, for the, the third or fourth time, you know, Jason is helping visionaries with impactful ideas, 
right? So people who are leading their cohorts, um, people who have already validated uh, their ideas and are able to generate either um, a lot of value, a lot of income, and then to help these people connect with the right customers that they can serve best, right? And problems they can most uniquely solve. I think these are really keywords. So if you are an entrepreneur currently struggling to scale, struggling to uh, charge the consulting fees that you feel like you deserve, these are the areas that you should consider. How do you uh, niche down, narrow down, and trying to provide as much value as you possibly can. And sometimes the painful part is at the beginning, instead of speaking uh, to everyone, you have to really target to a much smaller audience. I think a lot of us don't realize that there are six to seven billion people on the planet right now. We don't need every single one of them. We need such a small slice of the pie. And if we can talk to them more specifically, the better off you will be. And I know this through my YouTube experience, right? So for example, I lately have been teaching people a lot about live streaming, multi-streaming, using Restream among other different uh, you know, technical solutions and software and platforms. So um, what I notice is if I you know, create a title called um, How to Start Your uh, Live Stream. But you know, that's pretty general and that is hard to hit and hard to write the YouTube algorithm. If I simply change that title to um, how to start live streaming for authors, how to start live streaming for podcasters, all of a sudden you're talking to a very specific audience. And furthermore, you can offer tips and tools specific to the audience because you know their behaviors, you know the assets, the body of work they already have, right? For example, I know that podcasters are already good at talking to people, interested in talking to people. So my selling point is in, instead of waiting for weeks to edit your show, why not just go live in the first place? You can really captivate your audience on so many channels prior to heavy-duty editing. Um, so with that said, if you want to check out my YouTube channel, you can find me just simply at FaceWorld Media. Again, FaceWorld is spelled as Evson Frank, E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D. Without further ado, please welcome Jason Van Orton to the FaceWorld podcast. Um, I can't wait to see you at the end of the show. This is Fei Wu from Face World Media. I know I haven't gone live in like, oh my God, like a week and a half already, but today I'm really excited to be introducing my mentor, someone I've taken a course from about creating courses. His name is Jason Van Orden. And welcome, Jason. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, thanks, Faye. This is great. I'm glad to be here to chat with you. I'm so glad you said yes to this because I love the fact that you follow up uh, to all the students that you had, which are like good 30 of us, very engaging uh, how to create your course workshop that you did. I, to be honest, I'm, I was super impressed and I was even upset the last time I went live with a lovely guest and I had to miss the last session. Um, but yeah, thank you, thank you for doing that and connecting, connecting us. And and, and before that, a big shout out to Michael Roderick for connecting uh, our group. But That's because, how we met, of, yeah, right? How yeah. about that? Like he's uh, he is such a a wild connector. Like yeah. Michael's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I go always, Michael. I meet very cool people through Michael all the time. It's great. That is true. He recommended more people for for me to go live with. So, um, but I think as a result of your course. 
meeting people in that forum, 30 people over the course of, you know, eight weeks or so, um, once a week with occasional Q&A, getting to know you more. I feel like that even further strengthened my connection to them. And they're just more reason to, uh, to learn from one another. So, yeah. um, yeah, you know, before we, before we started, uh, going live, you had mentioned about your name. So like, I, oh, I, okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I think most people probably haven't even asked. I assume you're Dutch, but I feel like all the Dutch friends I have, when I see Van, it's usually V-O-N. It's spelled a little differently. Like what, yeah, what, how, how did you end up having a slightly? The story of my name, Van Orden. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a yeah, family name that goes back quite, quite a ways and it is Dutch. And uh, so cool a side story here. I went uh, to Amsterdam a few years back, just kind of on my own. I like every once in a while going on these little personal retreats to just kind of think and journal, figure out what's next. And I was in Amsterdam. It was right before Christmas. So it was a great time to be there. Mm-hmm. And I took the opportunity to go on a train, just like a half an hour outside of Amsterdam to a little village called Narden, which is spelled N-A-A-R-D-E-N. And of course, in Dutch, for those who don't know, van often means from or of, right? So van Narden would be from Narden. And so my ancestors, at some point, their name came from that village. And if you look it up on Google Maps, uh, it's this really cool, like, it has a star-shaped moat around it. It's like a fort town. And they fire off these cannons just ceremonially every once in a while there. So I got to step off this, you know, took a train and a bus and stepped off the bus. And here I am in this, like, old Dutch town that my ancestors lived in several centuries ago. And then at some point, they came over here, even when it was New Amsterdam and New York, where I live which used to be New Amsterdam, right? Mm-hmm. And at some point they changed Van Narden to Van Orden. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like my name. I like my Dutch heritage. And uh, before that it was French, which is great because I've had the opportunity to live in France and I, and I uh, speak French too. But there's my brief what? family history for, for what it's worth, yeah. Wow, no way. I, I didn't know Van means from. So would it be, wow, wait a minute. From Narden. So- so like, uh, how I, I think about the origins of different names to be very fascinating. And, you know, some of my friends who are of say like Filipino descent will have like a really long name. And sometimes it's a, right. about a combination of your grandparents and your parents. And the name is like wicked long. Um, right. But, you know, as you know, I'm Chinese. So my name is incredibly short, you know, with that said it, how well, back in the day uh, in, I don't know, in, in Holland, if Jason from, Orton. I mean, how many then, how many variations could you have if, uh, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) you solely rely on first name or something or. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Cause there's right. And you get into like those Nordic countries where it's like, you know, so-and-so's daughter, so-and-so's son. Right. And then it, in it, right. So it's, it's interesting how those names proliferate. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you speak French also like fluently. Uh, yeah, I speak French well. I've spent three years of my life living in France, a lot in Paris. And most recently in 2014, I lived there for a year, which was like a big lifestyle goal I had for myself. Even before I was an entrepreneur and knew how I would make that happen. I just, at the time when I originally had that dream, I was an engineer and I just thought, well, maybe someday I'll find an American company to live in France and work for. But then I ended up becoming a, an entrepreneur and years later, um, had the opportunity to go and and live there for a year. In fact, it's a, it's a if I have a quick story, if you know, it's a pretty oh, cool yeah, story. Please, go for it. Um, see, two thousand. So I I lived when I was in my 
like when I was like 19, 20, I lived in France. So that's where I really fell in love with France and always wanted to go back and live there for a whole uh, year, you know, as an adult. And um, I visited there in 2004 and I was going up the hill Montmartre where at the top is Sacre-Cœur. So it's a big domed basilica. It's one of the most visited, you know, next to Notre Dame, it's probably one of the most visited churches there. And, and, and you get a huge view, big view of, New, of, I'm sorry, Paris up there at the top. So I was up there visiting the basilica and just kind of walking around. And Montmartre is just one of my favorite neighborhoods of, of Paris, lots of hills. And I was walking down these stairs on the hill and just thinking, wow, it'd be so cool to live in this area of, of Paris someday. And I remember walking down these stairs into a cafe where there was all these colored, I remember distinctly because there, there was these cool metal like uh, bistro tables and they're all different color, like green and blue and red and yellow. And so that really stuck out. And I remember sitting there eating a lunch and just thinking like, wow, it'd be cool to live in this neighborhood someday. So fast forward to 2014 and things just kind of lined up finally to, to move to Paris with my wife at the time and my daughter. And we, um, we found a place to live in Montmartre with mm -hmm. a view of Sacre-Cœur. And in fact, so right outside our living room window, you could see Sacre-Cœur up here and you could see this mm -hmm. staircase going up the hill, um, you know, over to the right this way. And in fact, it's a staircase that's been in a lot of movies. If you see it, you might, they might look familiar. And I, so after we got this apartment that day, I walked up the hill just to kind of explore. And I got to the top of that staircase and boom, there was the cafe with all the different colored tables. So just, you know, 50 or hundred yards or whatever away from the apartment I lived in was the place I sat and dreamt about the very thing that I had finally realized a decade later. Right. Yeah. So that was pretty cool to like come full circle. And when I saw that cafe, I'm like, no way, this is just, it was just one of those weird, surreal moments. Right. So, um, yeah, I got to live in Paris for a year and absolutely loved it. Wow. I, I think so. It's so funny. We don't talk about it, uh, often, but there are a lot of, I don't think coincidence is the right word. And I actually, that the fancier one just uh, left my brain. Um, but it just all these very surreal experiences we've had and how things mm -hmm. are connected, um, especially as I get older. I don't know. I just like how everything all kind of happens. And, and I think, again, going back to, you know, Michael Roderick for creating this group, I know that he had one before that I didn't belong to. Uh, mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, the pandemic is bring all of us together, right. creating a, a platform, that synergy. Um, and then for you, you know, you, 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 it kind of, something was left behind and, but there's something like almost waiting for you to re mm. reappear in that circumstance. Right. Um, so what brought you, when you said things lined up in 2014, well, if you don't mind sharing that briefly, yeah. what was that about? Yeah. Right. So, you know, like I said, when I first had that dream, I was still an engineer and I only lasted like three years as an engineer before I was like, okay, I can't, I can't work for other people. I'm just not made that way. Right. And, you know, it's a very circuitous path. So to kind of keep a long story short, I, I quit my job in 2003, just kind of, I, I was done. It's just like, okay, I'm going to figure something out. I'd been dabbling in real estate investing a little bit. So I just quit my job cold Turkey and started focusing on real estate investing, which I made a little money there, but it, it wasn't really a great fit for me, but it was a key step in the journey because, um, by being part of this real estate investing world, I started, uh, I started ending up consulting a lot of investors on marketing. I had been learning marketing for a while as a musician. In addition to being an engineer, I was also a musician and I was learning how to market my band online for several years. And that's how I 
learned that I enjoy marketing, was actually pretty good at it. So as I started associating with real estate investors and they'd all have these like pain points of how do I find buyers? How do I find sellers, put together my deals and make money? I started teaching them all these online marketing and like direct through the mail marketing methods that they could find people, right? And so I learned at the time how to put together good marketing campaigns. And I also kind of ran into, because I, at the same time as I was learning real estate investing, I'd been ordering these courses Mm -hmm. off of like eBay and places that people had recorded. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) this little light bulb went off in my mind that all of these courses that I was going through were just these workshops that somebody had ran at some point, recorded, Mm -hmm. and then put online. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go ahead and uh, do one of my own. I hold a workshop of my own. And so that was like the beginning of my whole online course mm-hmm. journey was going through that workshop, doing it. And I sold 25 spots into a room at a local like community college. Um, I, I remember I, I spent, you know, a couple hundred dollars on the room rental. Since I was a musician, I had all the gear to record it, you know, do all the audio. And then as soon as it was, you know, so I, I sold $200 a pop. So I made like $5,000 off of entry, uh, sold some follow-up coaching stuff as well. And so like, you know, after that day, having like basically grossed about seven, $8,000 in one day teaching people, which I love doing. I was like, okay, this is for me, this whole information marketing, make courses. And then that was my exposure into like the online course world. So I said, I was going to make this a short story, but fast forward, like that bloomed into like podcasts and businesses and teaching people online course stuff and personal branding online and consulting and marketing. And so, you know, by the time I got to it was after I did my first real estate investing deal that I had the money to go on that trip to Paris in 2004. So that was just like a vacation for a week or so. But then another decade later, all of these online pursuits had grown into a business that was successful enough that I could live anywhere. And my daughter was now like three years old. So she wasn't too young. It felt like, okay, she's old enough that we could go and live somewhere else with her um, and not have it to be too much of a hassle. And so we uh, we did that. We, we went ahead and, and just got the visa and put stuff in storage and sold a bunch of stuff and found a place in Paris. And, um, and, and thankfully our nanny at the time who had been watching her daughter, she's like, this sounds like a wonderful experience. I will, you know, we just said, Hey, look, if we give you a place to live and some spending money, would you come to, to live in France with us? Yeah. Um, and she was all down with it. So off we went. So those are all the things yeah. that align. We're just like, my daughter was old enough. My business was in a place. We had the nanny who was willing to come with and wow. off we went and had a year, uh, we had a one year visa. And then at the end, we're like, that was wonderful. Now let's go back and be close to family again. But uh, absolutely great that, you know, we had that experience. My daughter can, you know, she doesn't remember much of it, but like she still feels that attachment to, Paris and sees all the pictures of her uh, at the Louvre yeah. in front of the Eiffel Tower. And so it was a lifestyle dream made possible by, you know, entrepreneurship and, and the online income streams that I had established for myself and learned over all those. So the, the type of stuff that now I teach people like in the workshop that, uh, that you took. Very true. I mean, the, the, how wonderful is that to hear that story, to travel so far? And I mean, most recently, I got to say that, you know, since the pandemic, people in our profession, our types of professions are finding a lot more freedom, uh, a confidence, and just a lot less anxiety overall around uh, the pandemic when it comes to just making ends meet. And obviously, there there are other things, you know, we're still very concerned about with our friends and family, but uh, making money, I 
just felt really grateful that I, when I started my business in January, 20, 2016, I thought, Oh my God, what if I delay that decision to do that January, 2020, that would be super scary. Um, so, you know, with that said, home for you is New York, I assume. Yeah. New York. In fact, I just moved to Brooklyn. I was living in Manhattan, but, uh, I, in the middle of COVID here, I moved to, I decided to go ahead and move to Brooklyn. Um, just, yeah, more, more of my, I've always wanted to move uh, to Brooklyn and live down here and the timing was right and stuff. So that's my home base. Oh, awesome. Is that where you were born and raised as well? No, I was actually grew up in Alaska. Oh, geez. Well, you're the, the opposite first. corner of the, of the country. Yeah. You're the first guest from Alaska in yeah. like, I've been podcasting for six years. Yeah. Yeah. Growing up in Alaska. Yeah. It's a beautiful place. Gorgeous. I highly recommend people visit during the summer. It gets quite cold, quite dark. I mean, you know, it looks like a snow globe around Christmas if you go there, which is kind of a nice vibe, I suppose. But uh, very glad that Alaska is part of my life and history. Um, Don't know that I'll ever live there again, just because it's, I mean, you got, well, I guess you got to be resilient to live in New York City too, but I'm just, you know, I'm kind of done with the cold and dark of of Alaska. Mm you know, have wonderful memories there, but now I'm a a city guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is fascinating. It's crazy that I feel like I've known you for intense eight to 10 weeks, but these things you never really brought up, right? You're going right into the courses and I promise whoever's watching right now, we'll get to that very soon. But, um, until what age did you move out of Alaska? Yeah. So I lived in Alaska. So I lived there a couple of times. I, I grew up there in like my formative, like elementary, middle school years, and then moved away for a while. And then we moved back to New York during high school and stuff. Then I ended up back. Um, my parents, they eventually retired and went to Idaho. I ended up going to, I ended up going to university in, in Utah. They had a really good engineering school in the North of Utah called Utah State is where I went. And I also got a guitar degree there too. It turns out in the middle of, well, in, in this yeah, rural college in Utah, one of the best guitar teachers in the nation lived there. Uh-huh. Um, so that was a lot of fun going to school there. And then I, when I, when I lived in Paris for a couple of years, I think that's where I really turned into, you know, in those early, like young adult years, that's where I really turned into a city person. I just loved Paris. I mean, just Paris for Paris, but also just the city vibe. And I was like, okay, that's so later on, came to New York. Uh, again, my wife at the time, she, she wanted to go to graduate school here. And so mm-hmm. just kind of been a New Yorker in New York, Paris. I lived in Portland, Oregon for a while, also a wonderful, wonderful city. So, and I guess just to kind of bring it into the, this topic that we're, that we're getting to about online courses and online income. I mean, the reason why I've lived these different places is again, just the business allowing that latitude of lifestyle design. So, mm-hmm. you know, moving to Paris was a distinct choice. Moving to Portland was a distinct choice. Um, the first time I moved to New York, I was still getting my business going and it, you know, it was hard at first living in New York city and getting it going. But, um, you know, like we would sit down and set certain criteria of where do we want to live next? And, you know, so when we moved to Portland, it was like a list of, we want, you know, a, a good city with a lot of culture, but it's commuter friendly. Don't have to own a car and this and this and this and this. And, you know, it was like Portland, rose right to the top, like, great, let's move to Portland and live there six years and loved it. And then it felt right to go to Paris and it felt right to come back to New York City. So, you know, it's it's nice to have, you know, that's part of, yeah, being able to have, when you have that diversity of income streams and especially ones that aren't completely, well, aren't location dependent and aren't totally, you know, it doesn't necessitate me being present all the time in order to make money. Mm-hmm. And you have the, you have that latitude to be able to go like, okay, well, what do I want my life, my lifestyle to look like? What do I want my career to look like? Where do I want to be located? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and part of the reason I came back to New York was for career because there's just a certain, 
you know, you meet awesome people here and you, you connect and you, uh, I mean, a little less maybe during COVID, but you know, it's an amazing city for opportunities. So, you know, these are all very distinct decisions empowered, enabled by just the, the, the business mindset that has been underneath my, my career for the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Yeah. Well, this is, this is really fantastic because I mean, you started doing and exploring the entrepreneurial world a lot earlier because you, I did the math, you know, 2003, you're done and, you know, you start your own journey. And back then, if I remember, I graduated in 06. Um, so I just remember back then, compared then until now, there you know, I wish I knew Dory Clark, you know, then, and uh, I, I remember reading about Seth Godin, but the idea or the concept of multiple revenue streams were not that prominent. So um, could you talk about the multiple revenue streams you had then versus now? And, uh, you know, w- what are some of the differences and how you're able to even hone in and pick up the first few of those? So like, how did you realize that you're not relying on a single stream of income? Yeah. So um, when I, so, so I mentioned that, that first course that I did for real estate investors and I was literally burning CDs and, and printing out the, the manual and like sending it through the mail. So this is before like all this infrastructure for online courses mm-hmm. was put together. Um, so that was one of my earliest like online uh, income streams. And then I was also doing, you know, consulting at the same time. So that was just, you know, two, two different income streams. So it was nice to have the course that again, you know, I sell a course, I didn't have to go and consult for an hour to get that money. Somebody bought it any time of day, it got shipped out to them. Um, and then as time went on, then I, in 2005, podcasting started becoming a thing. And I got really fascinated with that because I love teaching. I had the audio experience. I had like the technical engineering background to understand the ins and outs and intricacies of it. Uh, we didn't have the same tools that there are today that make it, you know, a lot easier to, to launch a podcast. And so then I started doing some podcasting consulting. Um, and then I started doing on, on online workshops to help people launch podcasts. And then I had businesses that would come to me and ask me, you know, can you help us set up a podcast? Then I get speaking gigs. And, and I also got a book uh, deal because of a podcast that I was doing and some t- a tutorial I created in 2005 started doing really well in Google and like Wikipedia had it listed on the podcasting page for a little while. So then that's just starts, you know, because I'm creating content, you know, specific to at that time to, to podcasting and helping businesses with podcasting, you know, these opportunities start showing up and each one just kind of starts creating this portfolio of places that I can go to create um, new income. And then one of the podcasts, I'd started three podcasts in 2005 and one was at the, a friend of mine. Um, it was the first podcast about internet marketing and online entrepreneurship. And I think just because we were early to the game and I, people enjoyed and resonated with it, it grew very quickly. And then we started, people just started asking like, well, how do you do what you guys are doing? Like he was selling stuff on eBay and I was doing my various things online. And so we just started talking about that. And eventually that turned into group coaching courses. And then we made a digital ebook about how to find your business idea and started selling that. So, you know, over time that turned into a company with a whole suite of, of digital courses and products that people could buy to learn entrepreneurship. So um, that, that's kind of an example of some of the different uh, income streams that, so, you know, some of it was one-on-one, some of it was group online programs, some of it was digital programs, some of it was, you know, I'd go and speak somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned, you know, our uh, mutual friend, Dory Clark, you know, she is a very similar thing. I, I think the, 
actually, I think the phrase she uses is like a portfolio career, a portfolio of income, right? And that's really kind of what you're going for is that around a specific expertise and a specific audience, you have these multiple ways to serve that audience and not all of them are a one-to-one exchange of your time. I mean, that's the key thing, right? right? If all I'm doing is coaching or consulting or teaching or speaking, well, that requires me showing up and spending a certain amount of time to make a certain amount of money. But as soon as I start introducing more of these one-to-many um, or digital sources of income, now I, you know, it lifts that ceiling on how much I can help people with my expertise and then, of course, also make income off of my expertise as well. Right. And I think this is so relevant for everyone to hear because I think some folks who may be watching this will be thinking, wow, I'm so far from creating my course. My God, like I'm not even comfortable recording a single video and hit upload to YouTube. Or some people may be thinking I'm too young. I don't really, you know, I don't want to be seen as this expert because I'm not. Well, I think it's time to rethink a lot of that, especially during the pandemic. And I just shared our video to a group I started called Dan's Livestream and Videos, where um, right now, yeah, you know, there's a really large audience that I have grown because of my YouTube videos teaching fitness entrepreneurs how to teach online. And I notice a, a number of them are doing something super smart. And it's supported by the platforms we have today in 2020, which is Instead of just teaching live uh, online, a lot of people say, I love to join your class, Jason, but you're teaching at 7 p.m. That's when my, my family's having dinner together and they're unable to join whatever may happen. So I noticed some instructors are basically using recorded uh, materials, recordings from their previous lessons. It's already done. They repackage them as lessons they can sell and repurpose on their website. So it's you know, for us, it's like a business webinars on demand, but for them is people can purchase for a lot less money or a subscription service where, you know, if right. you pay $50 to join the class, but for $20 extra, you get all these recordings if you choose mm-hmm. to. Right. So it's, it's very relevant what you're saying here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, the, there's an interesting thing you said in there is that a, a lot of times people have existing materials that they might have made if you're already a consultant or a coach or a service provider or there's materials you've made for the thing that you do for your for yourself and then by kind of yeah repackaging those in new ways I mean I you know the reason I had a course to start selling online in 2004 is because I recorded this one workshop that I did live Mm -hmm. Um, you know and so it was like from an idea of hey I would like to try running my own workshop to actually doing that probably as little as like five or six weeks later I was running the workshop Mm -hmm. and then it continued to make money for me after that at the same time so it's like anybody could put together you know, repurpose stuff, existing stuff, or even just do a quick series of Zoom calls or whatever and repackage that. And, and now you've got uh, a new income stream. And I always, con- I always encourage people to do it in a very, to start out in a very simple way, just mm-hmm. to try it out. Don't get caught up in having to do, record lots of videos in advance or, mm-hmm. you know, set up a really fancy, nice uh, website or anything. It's like, just get something out there and see if you can get a few people to buy in. Mm-hmm. And one of the coolest things about online courses is that um, you you can sell it first and then create it later. So a lot of times when I create an, a new online course, I you know I make a curriculum outline and make an outline of everything people will accomplish and and what are the benefits are of taking the course and I put a price tag on it and have an information page and people can go there and sign up. And I have a good idea of what I'm going to teach over the coming weeks or you know days or whatever, but 
I haven't like sat down and created it all in advance. Like I've gone to the market and said, Hey, does this interest you? And people have said, yeah, and signed up for it before then I invest the time into actually creating the course, right? So that's another advantage that that brings to do things that way. And, you know, we buy things like this all the time. We pay for the magazine before we get it. We pay for the movie before we get it. We, uh, right. So it's, it's, uh, it's a very normal way to, to do business. Right. So. That's something that most people probably are not thinking about that. Uh, in fact, I did learn about this from the, I think it's called the school of design, um, started by, um, a friend of mine, turned out to be very successful. And this gentleman was also saying that he validated this idea, collected money, I think it was $5,000 altogether, which I know sounds like a substantial amount, but he literally with $5,000 in his pocket, he had zero content, but he knew what it was going to create. Right. Um, so I think this is fascinating, right? People may be thinking like, how do I seek feedback from? And you know, one of the questions I wrote down is like the idea of validating your mm-hmm. idea or validating your course what are some of the uh, ways that you you know we should be thinking about? Should we do it through email? Should we post a message on LinkedIn? And what's the level of details? Like, how do we invite people into that conversation? Yeah, so to, I mean, I always encourage people to start from getting very specific within themselves of who's the audience I can serve best? Who, who do I want to create this course, this value for based on, you know, your own expertise, maybe your experience and who you've worked with in the past, maybe who you feel drawn to work with moving forward. And then once you have that idea, one of the best ways to begin validating is to go ahead and do what I call indirect research. So, you know, go to existing Facebook groups, Reddit groups, LinkedIn groups, forums, and you know, wherever the people that you want to reach for this course, wherever they're hanging out online, see what questions they're asking, see what pains they're running into, see what their hangups are, see what their big goals and motivations are that are bringing them to want, you know, looking to understand or better, um, you know, get some help with accomplishing a particular goal. And so that's your first kind of to make sure that it's like, yeah, if you see a lot of people asking about these questions that you can answer and want to help people with, or, you know, looking, talking about striving to, to, reach certain goals that you want to help people with, that's a first initial validation of like, okay, there's a need in the marketplace. People are aware of it. They're actively looking for it. And then the next thing you want to know is, are they ready to invest their time, their energy, and their money into reaching that goal, you know, and in your case, through buying your your course. So that's when that, that next layer of uh, validation starts coming in where you go ahead and you decide, okay, based on my research, well, then there's, then more, there's one more step. So that's indirect research. Then I say do direct research, which means get on the phone or on Zoom call like this or have you know, coffee or whatever with five people who fit that audience mm-hmm. and, and talk to them, just have a conversation, ask them about their experience, say, hey, yeah, the last time you tried to do such and such, tell me how that went. You know, mm-hmm. what, what problems didn't you run into? What was important about that to you? What, you know, what are you still um, running into in terms of challenges? So you just want to better understand their experience because this is informing you when it comes to designing that course. So once you've done some an indirect and some direct research and having those, you know, handful of conversations, now it's time to just put the offer together, you know, put an information page together and then go out there and offer it to, to people. And then when they actually pay for it, and if you can get, you know, four or five, six people or more to sign up for a pilot course, well, that's the ultimate validation because now they've invested money and signed up. So mm-hmm. then you take people through that pilot course and you get them some results and you get some testimonials and you've made a little bit of cash and you've, you know, refined and proven out your process. And so now you can kind of take that and, 
and you know refine it some more and turn it into a, a, an, a more automated income stream for you. But those are kind of like some of the main milestones of validation as you go from the initial like, what's my idea to like, okay, now I actually have this new income stream that's part of my portfolio of income. So mm-hmm. that's, yeah, that's the process. I love that. And, you know, we're, I'm talking, I have the privilege to talk to you, someone who's been doing this for, you know, well over a decade and you started when you were really young and um, you definitely have a reputation. And one thing that I heard, and sometimes people are embarrassed to ask this, but I do sense from certain groups where people felt like, well, I don't have Jason's experience or credentials um, that I, well, I personally feel that way as well. And I feel hesitant to reach out to people to say, Mm -hmm. Um, we'll talk about dollar anchor and dollar amount in a second, but whatever it may be, $50, a hundred dollars, um, especially during the pandemic, another unfortunate situation where, you know, there are a lot of people offering help for free or lowering their prices and, um, Mm. that how do you feel like, um, do you feel like if people cannot collect any, there isn't any incentive, clear incentive upfront where people are unwilling to invest in a course that doesn't yet exist. Should people just give up or, you know, should they hit record anyway? Mm-hmm. How do they process that? So there's a couple of things. Yeah. If, if you are, if you're having a hard time selling the thing, if you get to that stage, so there, it could be two or three things that are wrong. I mean, you're trying to get a, a the three M's message market and media match, right? So the message is, or actually let's start with market. Market is the audience. Like, so, so if you're having a hard time selling it, the first thing to ask yourself is have I chosen the right audience? Like, are they aware enough of this, of this pain or problem or desire and actively looking? And if, are you actually getting in front of that audience? Cause sometimes people are marketing, but they're not really landing the message in front of the right people. The next part then is, is message, right? And so that's like, have you put the right offer in front of people with the right language that they will resonate with and see it as relevant to their um, particular problem or issue desire that they're, that they want to fix or accomplish. So it's, it's worth, you know, if you're having a hard time selling, it's worth maybe you go back and talk to some more people or you need to adjust a little bit what the outcome is. I mean, ultimately what you're looking for is, you know, that ideal audience and that ideal outcome that they want that you can help them achieve. And if one of those things are, are off, then the messaging and the offer are going to um, fall flat. Now you bring it to price and that could be part of the issue. Usually that's like the first thing people go is like, oh, well, I just need to lower the price. Um, but I usually, what I recommend rather than just lowering your, your prices is, um, so like you mentioned with the pandemic and stuff, I think a lot of people did get nervous and started adjusting their prices because they were worried, well, people aren't going to want to spend money. And, but, mm-hmm. and, and there is some truth to that, but at the same time, really what happened when like quarantine, quarantine started hitting and like, we go back to March when it, it started getting real for everybody, like around mm-hmm. the nation here, around the world, um, is that everyone's needs and priorities just shifted massively, like literally overnight. Right. Mm -hmm. And so some of the income streams that my clients were selling no longer were as relevant anymore, Mm -hmm. maybe because they were doing it in person and nobody was booking in-person stuff because Mm -hmm. of quarantine or whatever the case may be, that something just wasn't as important. So what I told them all to do is we need to go back and do some more research and figure out like there are still plenty of urgent needs and priorities. In fact, maybe even more so for certain markets and in the certain places, right? So it's about having that research, but most of all, the empathy for the audience that you're trying to serve. And the better you can understand their circumstances, the better you are going to be able then to dial in that right um, mm-hmm. offer. So ask yourself, have I chosen the right um, market? Am I getting in front of that market? Have I really chosen the right offer and message? 
Um, and the last thing is media is just, you know, if you aren't getting in front of them, maybe you just need to try a different channel, right? If you're, if you're hanging on out on a certain, you know, messaging board and nobody's responding, then maybe it's like, okay, try a different channel to, you know, and, and often the, the goal is to get to where you have your own email list of people who you've earned their trust and they're just, you know, following what you do because they enjoy the perspective that you offer. And then when you launch your course, they're read, you know, ready and willing and able to, to sign up. Obviously, the first time you sell a course, you're going to have to pound the pavement a little more and maybe use your network or whatever the case may be, go to past clients or so those are some of the things you can do. But, um, you know, you don't want to just like scrap it immediately and you don't want to, um, you know, I wouldn't say just immediately drop, drop the price, but to see like, can you get a better, you know, message and market match mm -hmm. there is, is going to help. Yeah, I, I love that message. And uh, something I just remembered, one of many tactics that you taught us during your workshop, one of which is to relating to our own stories and our mm. own real authentic experiences. So one of the courses that I just launched and I decided to put a, an accelerator workshop on top of it, which we can explain in a second. But the um, idea is that I notice when I drop, uh, when I tell the world, when I tell on social media that this is what I'm doing. Hey, come check it out. Sometimes it's not really the the best way to go about it. I'm not saying that people should never do that. They yeah. should. Um, but I also noticed just if you relate to the reason why I created that. So in talking to you just now, I noticed I'm going to post something new on Facebook, on LinkedIn to talk about all the pain points I lived through personally as a podcaster, like mm. the title, I can already see it. I almost quit podcasting 10 times. I had the perfect right. reason. It was not really worth my time. You know, I'm not that good at it. And there are a lot of self-doubts in and, and looking at the wrong analytics and, and uh, busying ourselves. And, but I didn't. And, and I think what really turned everything around is when I finally, after so many years of just contemplating getting help, I finally got help. My producer, yeah. my editor, my virtual assistant changed everything. And mm. I, you know, what I learned is, was I making tremendous amount of money from advertising as a podcaster back then? Absolutely not. But in retrospect, by paying not that that much money to get such quality help mm -hmm. and knowing who to look for changed everything. If I didn't do that in 20, you know, 2016, then again, 2018, I would absolutely re regret it. Giving up the one thing that I love the most is mm -hmm. talking to people and to learn from them. So there's, the, there's that pain of not doing, I feel like these are kind of storytelling that I want to help people see something that they're not seeing just yet. That's something that you said, like maybe we are just a few steps ahead of people that we're trying to help. Right. Yeah. And, and people really undervalue their own experience sometimes. So when people are feeling trepidatious about how am I going to put myself out there as an expert to help others to accomplish this thing? Well, you know, if you've been through that thing, that trial, that challenge, that learning, you know, the, the, that specific knowledge, you know, that has value to other people. And there are billions of people on this earth today, right? And you only need a small fraction of those people in order to, you know, to help in order to make an income stream and an, and an impact. And there are going to be people who just resonate with who you are and your story and your way of going about it. And if you share like, hey, I used to be where you're at and I, you know, I know how it is. I struggled with this and this and this, and I had these questions and I almost gave up because of that. They're going to like, yeah, that sounds like me. So you've been through it, you understand it. And then that starts creating a trust and a resonance and, you know, and also credibility, right? And so when you've got that credibility and that trust and resonance, you know, now you've got people who are going to be willing to say, yeah, I would like you to help me with this, 
mm-hmm. with this goal, with this problem, with this issue. Yeah, absolutely. And I, um, I think about the idea of an accelerator and for people who are new to this term or, you know, it's been, there are a lot of confusing terms in digital marketing, but essentially the idea that you gather a group of people like a mini mastermind or like a founder's club where uh, essentially for me, I'm walking people through the course. So giving them accountability, having building community so that they can support each other. That was the intention that I had recently. So I put it up. There's a link um, in the comments if you want to check it out. But I definitely had the hesitation. I was I, I didn't even get a chance to check in with you, Jason. I but I would love for you to honestly like just say this is a terrible idea or this this has some, you know, this idea has some legs. I would love to hear that, which is I has it, you know, I was very hesitant to look at my course and say, okay, it's pretty good quality. This is one of my signature courses. Then I watch people who are like, oh my God, where have you been in my life? I love this. I'm so glad. I'll give them free access just to mm. test things out because I was working under a, a lot of pressure and, uh, and a deadline. So people came in, some people would do a lot. Their EP or engagement points are quite high. Uh, but some people are just like, I can see they're, they're not doing anything, mm-hmm. right? So I said, okay, th- this is self-paced and uh, I'm going to start an accelerator workshop for four weeks in September and really get in that conversation. Do the work that you're just describing. Like, what's their pain point? How can I... How can I help them navigate different chapters? Like, oh, maybe Jason, you should start with chapter five as opposed to one. Go right. there first and I can customize it for them. Um, what, what do you think of this idea in general for me, but also for other people who are not seeing a lot of traction or engagements in their courses? Should they do something like this? Yeah, I mean, if you, it, it certainly helps to, to be able to sell your thing if you have success stories already. And sometimes when you're working on something new and if you don't have it, you know, if you haven't built a platform and a following who are already trusty, then sometimes you just got to get some of that early uh, proof and credibility. And so certainly having both for feedback, but then also just to hopefully get some success stories of people going through your system, that's where it can be worth it sometimes to go ahead and give it away for free or guide, you know, just co- co- if, you're for, if you're worried about that credibility, fine, go find a couple of people to coach through it for free and get those results and get a testimonial from them. Just saying, it's like, hey, you know, it was fantastic. I, I was running into these problems and I, here's where I was before. And then I started working with, you know, Faye or whoever. And then, and then afterwards it was, you know, then I got here. So uh, I, that's a, and then also, you know, when I, when I said, talked about that direct research, one reason why that's important, not only to kind of like see what your market is really saying and wanting and enter kind of that conversation already going on in their mind, but also I find that when people are in those early stages and kind of looking for that, that, uh, that, that okay to their idea and that confidence in their idea, when you're listening to someone express their experience, you're going to find, as long as you've chosen an audience, you're really excited about, you're going to find you start getting like, like, you know, giving them answers to their questions and they're expressing like, here, I'm struggling with this and I want to know how that, and in your mind, you're going, I know how to help with that. So then that starts, you know, I find that those conversations can actually be quite, um, you know, invigorating and give you fuel and confidence to then move forward with, uh, with your course, because, you know, you're now, at this point, you're just like, okay, now I just really want to go and help these people I just talked to. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a, a how. That's how I feel. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of what you said during the course, and we're trying to. I mean, you did it for eight, ten hours. I'm trying to. I'm trying to distill the information that I remember most clearly here. And but we definitely we have limited time. But one of the things that you brought up, and and we definitely threw some really hard questions at you. And one of them is the idea of selling tangibles versus intangibles. Mm. Um, I one of my mentors uh, that I'm working with 
literally could turn $2,000 into $20,000 within a short period of time, right? This is not an investment you need to make over the course of 12 months, Um, but it's something that he can repeat every 30 days. And and then, you know, he works with clients on a retainer base and it's just literally mind blowing to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I admit that that's not really how I work with my clients. I can't, working with me doesn't mean you have a course or you have a, you know, we figure out a, how to make your YouTube uh, channel thrive. And all of a sudden you, you're seeing $5,000 in the bank. I guarantee you, I, I'm not doing that. So a lot of people are selling intangibles. Mm-hmm. What are some of the ways, uh, mindset shifts that people need to have and understand mm-hmm to get that message out. So I'm just, uh, I'm actually coming down here to a worksheet that we use in that course that you, that you took. Oh. And, you know, early you on, share when that? I, what, what's that? <laughs> do you want to, you don't have to share Do you want to share that? Oh, oh, uh, like on my screen? Sure. Yeah. All right. I'm going to make you co-host. Let's see. I've never awesome. done this. Yeah. Okay. So, and hopefully we won't. Oh, we won't. The, not going to get the internet in my, of course, things get slow once we do the. Okay. I'm curious to see what it looks like live, but it should be displaying everything that you know you and I are are seeing. So. Okay. So okay. So here we here we go. I found it. Um, okay. So we'll come down here to share screen. We've got two different screens here. That's why I keep looking up and down. <laughs> okay. We'll share this one. Okay, are you seeing that? Uh, there we go. Yep. Okay, so one of the things I have people thinking about when they're so this is a positioning workbook, and positioning is just about getting very clear about who you serve, how you serve them, why you serve them, because um, this is how this is a big part of your brand and how you'll p- be perceived in the marketplace, how you want to be perceived in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And I said earlier that you want to get very clear about who that ideal student or customer client is, and get very clear about what the outcome is that you are delivering as a result of them working with you or taking your course, right? And so kind of going to this tangibles versus intangibles. And sometimes you can very clearly say, well, here are the results, right? It's like you can, you know, you follow my process, you stand to be able to save this amount of time or make this amount of money. Or, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it is something very clear. You can point to that. But these are the types of things that people will pay for. Um, there's, so I, I have all my customers and clients who are putting together their own course think in these five areas about what are the outcomes you're delivering and that's results. So what measurable results will you help them achieve and or transformation? Like afterwards, how are they going to be different or feel different? What changes are, how's their life going to be different? Uh, are they going to believe things differently about themselves or about the world? Um, relief. So it's like what kind of mental, emotional, or physical symptoms or pains or problems or, you know, dissonance are you going to help them get over? Capabilities. You know, this is where you're, you're giving them skills, you're giving them knowledge or maybe, you know, helping them connect with other people and opportunities. So, you know, if you're a career coach, by the end of working with you, hopefully there are new opportunities opened up to them in, in their career. They have new capabilities to, to maybe interview or to go in and, and apply for jobs or to ask for a raise. Um, and then the final one, which is easy, which is very intangible, but perhaps actually the most important of all of them is what fundamental human needs 
are you fulfilling for that audience? And here's a, a list of 34 fundamental human needs that we all share. But for your audience in the course that you're selling, it's likely two or three of these are the ones that are the most motivating for them. You know, uh, a need for belonging, uh, a need for, you know, you just see a, a bunch of them right here, a need for freedom or self-expression. So your course ultimately is helping them fulfill, you know, a, a handful of these needs and you want to know what those are. So you can, you can speak about them in the, in the information about your course. Mm. Oh, I'm looking through the list. It makes me so happy. I mean, you think about like, you know, podcasting and also course creation is such a great, it's a part of self-expression. I, I don't know why that resonate number 30 self-expression resonated with me so well, because I think in our traditional careers, that's one thing that that's lacking so much every day is you go to a meeting. Most people know they have to shut up and listen to like one or two people talk at the most. Right. And, uh, you know, you're not like, I, I remember leaving, um, just leaving my job or just while still in it. And it's hard to say, wait, who am I again? Like, what do I care about? Like, what, what am I here for? What's, what, what can I contribute? How can I be of contribution in other people's right. uh, lives? It's very unclear. Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing that list. So, that yeah, good. people have a lot to offer and, and it is normal to discount a lot of those things. But again, your your experience, your knowledge, it has value to others. And this those are some of the different forms, those five categories that that value takes. Um, so just because you can't point to like, here's the deliverable that I'm going to hand to you by the, or that you're going to have in hand by the end of this thing doesn't mean that there's not value inherent in what you're going to teach teach them and offer them. Mm-hmm. There, there's a lot of... Uh, people probably feeling very positive right now, but I also would like to welcome, invite you to maybe share some of the challenges or maybe even common mistakes that um, early course makers are making because you have access to a lot more people than what I can witness. Mm-hmm. You know, what are some of the things that come to mind? Yeah, so one of the, the biggest mistakes that people make is not getting very clear about who that ideal audience is and doing the research to figure out what that outcome really is, what the value really is that they offer. Because obviously, you know, people aren't buying your course, they're buying what they're going to have by going through the course. You know, they're not buying your time, they're buying what your time is going to afford them having by the time they're done working with you, right? So getting very clear about those things early on, that's a big mistake if you don't do that that's where you're going to put something on the marketplace and have it fall flat. The other thing, big mistake is that I see people just take way too long to get something out to the marketplace. Um, so, you know, we've talked about how you can get something very quickly. You can even sell it before you have the whole thing created. And in fact, keep it very simple the first time around and just sell a pilot version of, of, of a course. So, you know, you don't, what you don't want is to have six months go by and you're still, you know, perfectionist loops or, you know, the technology is hanging you up or, you know, you're still trying to finish a whole bunch of videos and you still haven't even proven if people want to buy it or not, because that's just opportunity lost for you. Like every month it just keeps going by or money lost people that you, you know, that you would have helped that's lost to you as well. So that's why I really encourage people, you know, to get something to market fast. I've sold like workshops for $3,000 that it was basically a series of zoom calls within the recordings and some Google docs put on a Google drive. And all of that was emailed to people after each different session. Right. So very basic, not fancy at all. But people, again, they were paying for the value of the workshop, not the fact that it was in some polished, you know, of course, then later I took that information, made a more polished course out of it. But still, people happily paid that $3,000 to be part of that workshop because of the value it delivered to them, despite the fact it was all just Zoom and Google Drive is how it was delivered, right? So I was able to go from idea to getting that people signing up for that within about three or four weeks at that point Mm -hmm. by keeping it very simple. Um, you know, you, you talk about the, the transformation, the shifts, and uh, I'm sure you've 
probably made mistakes on your own as well. But for you to be able to convince and convey that information that this this is worth it, what have you learned from your own experience? Like how, what made you or helped you choose the content or the course that you're creating? And, mm. you know, what? so I, I, I'm kind of just really curious. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the courses that I teach, I always... First, I mean, again, it always starts with the audience. And so I love working with people who have ideas that they want to get out in the world. Part of that is because I'm a very curious person and I love learning about all the different, you know, ideas. You know, you've got a very fascinating history that I've learned about recently. And I've learned about your mom and the paintings behind. And like that stuff is just like interesting to me, Mm -hmm. right? And I get to work with lots of different people who have interesting stories and ideas and things that they've done. And they just want to get those things out in the world, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things. So that that's choosing that audience is a big thing that drives me. But then I also encourage my my clients and, and students to think about, you know, what is the vision of the world that you want to contribute to and create in the future? Like what is the purpose that's driving this for you? And you know, I I have a vision of helping more. I think of it as like um you know, Spotify has become a big thing. And one thing that we love about Spotify, I think, is not only just that, it's just like anything's on demand for us, right? And then also, if you love music, you can discover like that specific, you know, style or artist you're just like that you wouldn't normally, 20 years ago, you probably wouldn't have like even known about or had access to, right? Same thing when people are going online and more of them are, especially during COVID, um, looking for help, looking for information, looking for perspective, looking for belonging around a particular area of their life. What's amazing is now the internet in the last 10, 15 years allows them to find that one specific person who can best serve them because of that person's story. Or pers- So what I'm saying is like, you know, there are people out there who would love to hear from Faye, you know, her perspective on podcasting or any, you know, other online media and how to use that, right? Because of your story, because of your background, how they resonate with you. And so it's, uh, you know, being clear about that that audience helps them, you know, first of all, resonate with you, but then also being willing to share your own uh, story and vision of the future. So I believe that, you know, I'm helping to create kind of this like Spotify of expert effect. Like I help all these people get their messages and their stories out in a bigger way. And that just helps solve more problems and helps more people and populations in, in the world by, by empowering all these experts that have something to share. So, um, hopefully that's answering the question, but that's like some of my motivation behind what I do. And I, I always encourage my clients to understand their motivations at this, at a same, you know, similar level. I love a metaphor. You should totally implement that on your website because you are a musician and to relate to that, by the way, are you mm-hmm. like a guitarist or are you I'm a guitarist? Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. Fantastic. I love that metaphor to have access to different people. And I think it must be really satisfying to you as well as an entrepreneur. So you're not exclusively facing not just an author, but an author within a certain niche and you cannot help anybody else. So uh, really, I feel like I find your this part of your career to be really envious too. And um, last time before, you know, we were, we came on live stream, you mentioned the pivots that you're making to your business, which a lot of people don't talk about. And I, mm. I, I'm I love when entrepreneurs share their pivots and for you, uh, could you share maybe with us where, you know, where you're potentially going next and what you like to do and how this community can help you? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's very natural uh, as you go on as an entrepreneur to have these moments of shift or pivot. It might be within the same business, you know, because the market has shifted or now you're going, you know, you've hit a plateau and to go to the next level, you're going to need to pivot or shift things or how you're doing things. Or, you know, what happened with me most recently a few years ago is that, you know, I'd been doing, um, 
my the Internet Business Mastery podcast and business, the one that you know allowed me to go and live in in Paris for a year. I'd been doing that for like a dozen years, and I was just ready for some some changes. And so, a couple of things, you know, when I kind of looked introspectively of like what, what do I need to change because I'm feeling a little bit atrophied here. Essentially, number one was I wanted to shift markets. So I'd been working in a specific market that I would call you know kind of like the beginner entrepreneur. Um, aspirational business opportunity market. So, you know, there's a lot of people like, I don't like my job. Can you help me get out of my job by starting a business? And that, you know, that's great. It was like, it was really about help. We want to help you find freedom from, you know, in your lifestyle. But then after a while, like I, I started just wanting to, I found myself drawn when I thought about it. I, what I was really passionate about was helping people who had ideas they really felt compelled to get out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was still teaching and helping entrepreneurship, di- digital marketing, things like that. But I wanted to work with, you know, the academic who had written two books and was teaching at graduate school, but now wanted their ideas to go beyond academia or, you know, the the speaker who, who wanted other... Um, income because, you know, speaking gigs gets tiring traveling or COVID happens and now you're not speaking or, you know, so people who are really good at what they do, but they just need help getting it out there in a bigger way. And my knowledge and expertise doing this for 15 plus years would be invaluable to them. And again, for the reasons I said earlier, I love working with people like that with ideas. Um, so it was a, a shift in audience. The other thing is that my last business was like, everything was purely digital courses, um, which is great. I mean, of course, that gave me a lot of latitude in my free time because people could buy my courses at any time in the middle of the night when I'm sleeping, they're on the other side of the world, they go through it at their own pace. But I discovered I was really missing more interaction with the people I worked with that I feel like I am really fulfilled and shine when I'm regularly interacting with the audience that I that I serve. And so I do a lot more workshops now. It's still one to many so that it's leveraged for my time. But for instance, you were part of a workshop where 30 people were there. And so it's kind of like the Lyft ride share, right? It's like if the guy has, if the Lyft driver has one person in the car, that car is only making money off of one person. But when it's like three people doing the ride share, now that car in that time is making money off of three people. Well, you know, when I've got 30 people in a workshop, I'm making more money for my time than if I were just working with one person during that um, time. Even if I, even if that one person was paying me more money, I still end up getting an aggregate paid more. So that was a shift that I, that I made too, is just doing more live facilitated courses for my fulfillment. I also felt like I could get the kind of results for people I wanted that way. Also, you know, I still make digital courses now and again, but it's just, I'm, I'm a big fan of knowing like, where do you shine in your unique genius, your strengths, what fulfills you and choose those channels and a business model that's really going to fit that for you. So that, you know, for many years to come as you're building your legacy and your business and your income, it's just, you're con- consistently fueled and driven by the vision that you're creating. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, just in case, you know, people are watching this, what will be an ideal currently, what will be an ideal client uh, or a group of people that you're looking for? That oh, you that work- I work with? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it'd be, it'd be, uh, I, I, mean, I work with a lot of existing coaches and, and, and consultants who have basically hit a ceiling because they've taken as many clients on as they can. Right. Mm-hmm. And so now they want to help and serve and more people. So um, they're looking for other ways to do that. So I'm helping them translate their expertise online. Um, Or a lot of times I work with like authors and speakers. Like I said, like a lot of people write books and then they have this amazing book, but now they're like, okay, how does this book make me money? Like a book's not a business model. It's a great calling card. It's a fancy business card, but now how do I take that and turn it into income streams? Like that's an ideal person for me to work with. Mm -hmm. Um, Or similarly, like a speaker who, um, you know, they're, they're, they're tired of, of speaking at, uh, you know, all the traveling and everything like that. So now they are looking for other ways to, to make income because they're really Mac, they're really maxed out. 
Um, let's see. Let's uh, another example. I mean, I worked with a lot of academics who, again, so it's like people who want to like expand their reach. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they have some channel that they're so whether it's speaking in their books or teaching at a, a university or whatever the case may be, and so they, uh, you know, now they just want to reach people in another way. So then I help them translate their expertise into content online that will reach a broader audience and help them build their social media following, help them build their email list. So now they can reach and impact more people. Um, And then they also have this audience that's this built-in audience that puts them more in control of their own career, right? They're not dependent on the conferences that book them to speak. They're not dependent on you know, their book publisher, who's probably not doing much to actually market their book. They're not dependent on the university that they, that they work for. Right. So, um, that's what I, um, those are some of the ideal people that I work with now. Yeah. I love that. Um, by the way, I know we are a little bit over time. You, you're good to speak to chat for a few more minutes before we wrap Uh, up. Yeah. I have just a few more minutes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So this is a, it's super helpful. I definitely see some uh, overlapping themes uh, between the work we're doing. Um, but at the same time, I just feel like it's so, it's just so wonderful to be able to learn from, you know, people who are ahead of me and who I consider as mentors and colleagues. And uh, as I mentioned before, I, I'm currently working with a number of authors and speakers, more authors and speakers right now, and a lot of more senior executives. And like you said, I do see, you know, book publishing or book as a content, as a calling card to them is at the center of their ecosystem. For me, it's always been YouTube based on these different platforms, mm-hmm. but I, I finally kind of turned things upside down and, and trying to look at it from a from an angle that they're, they're considering. So I agree with all this, uh, everything you said, even I, I have a lot of friends in Cirque du Soleil as well. I know it, it, it's a thing right now, given the pandemic, but um, that's something I always trying to convince my friends to see that, no, that's not a... a you know, a permanent solution, you know, mm. your name is not known, your character name is, mm-hmm. what if you get injured? What if you, so I think a lot of people in the industry could definitely see the benefit of branching out and, um, and understanding, you know, again, back to building different revenue streams. So, right. um, yeah, I mean, I to, to sum it all up, this, this really comes down to what I call the three P's. And these are the areas I work with people in, and that's positioning, platform, and product. And all of these things, they, they, they give you more security. They put you more in control of your future. Like, you know, positioning is about that personal brand and having a very strong personal brand that you are known for what you know or what you do in a marketplace. And so more opportunities show up for you, or you more readily can sell your expertise and, you know, the product piece, that's being able to sell that expertise or your skills in a variety of ways, that portfolio thing we were talking about earlier. And in between that platform, so positioning platform product, platform is, um, yeah, not to be being dependent on major media outlets or just your book or just the university to be seen, to be heard, but showing up regularly online so that for that audience, that positioning that you want, you're reaching a maximum of them as possible, given whatever time and energy you have to put into getting your ideas out there. And when you have those three things in place, you know, you're reaching more people, you're, you're making money in a more variety of ways. You have a more secure, consistent, uh, income going on. And then when you do want to launch or create or do something new, whether that's, you know, for profit or nonprofit, something that matters to you, you want to get a message out in the world, you know, you've got all of these resources at your, Available, you know, available to you in order to amplify those those things. So, um, yeah, it really is like a powerful thing to create for yourself in this day and age, a personal brand in that way that then ends up with this business model around that. And I would say even somebody who's working in corporate as a professional 
it still behooves you to have a personal brand as a person who is known for this thing. Employers, they want to see that. You go and you do an interview, guaranteed they've searched for you online. And if they see all of these articles you've created or that you've done these different things or you really understand a such and such audience, they're going to be like, awesome, this person's going to be great. You know, they're going to be that much more likely to want to hire you. So I'd say in this day and age, it's becoming, you know, you're necessary really to have that positioning and that platform and different ways that you make money off of your expertise, having those three things in place. Absolutely. I love the clarity here. And for anybody who want to learn more about Jason's work, I've included his website, his social media links all in the description just to make it super easy so he doesn't have to spell it uh, live here. So um, I mean, can I, uh, you know, I showed that, that uh, worksheet earlier and I like to give people something they can like really dig into and apply. Yeah. Um, So I'm just checking, I want to give them something they can actually download and if they want to start thinking about, but I want to make sure I give the right, uh, the right oh, yeah. URL. So I'm just double checking it here really quickly. So um, I should have checked this before. It's been so long since I set this one up. I've already forgotten. So I have this thing called the lean launch method. Mm-hmm. And it basically goes through, okay, yeah, lean launch method dot download. So it'll guide you through that process of getting a pilot out. It helps you think about the audience, the outcome. And then there's two other critical pieces that we don't have time to get into, but two other critical pieces of an online course and helps you think about both of those. And then it gives you a case study of how I did that $3,000 workshop from idea to launch in like three or four weeks. So if you go to lean launch method dot download, that'll give some, you know, people something actionable. I'm really into frameworks and people being able to like, you know, fill out in the blanks or ask questions that pull the genius out of their mind. And that'll be a good start for people to dig into. This is wonderful. I just uh, left it in a comments and I'm going to go ahead and go back to all the sources where we're publishing this and make sure I include that link as well. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. Absolutely. My pleasure. So thank you so much for joining me, Jason. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you, learning even more from you. So thank you so much. I hope we will do this again. Yeah, absolutely. I love chatting with you, Faith. So this has been great. Thank you. This episode of the Face World podcast is brought to you by Face World LLC, our marketing service agency created for independent creators and businesses. We offer website development, video production, marketing mentorship to people who want to tell better stories, level up, and create a profitable brand. Face World podcast team, our chief editor and producer, Herman Ceballos, associate producer, Adam Leffert, social media and content manager, Rose DeLeon, transcript editor Alina Ahmedova, and lastly, myself, the creator and host of Face World. Thank you so much for listening.